grace, mercy, and peace to you. From God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text this evening is from Matthew chapter 26. Here again, the part that reads, And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. You may be seated. You know, these days it's so difficult to trust what people say. Are they just flattering you? Do they really say the same thing in front of you as they say behind your back? Do they stand for the same things when they're with other people? You know yourselves that you are tempted always to change your story by the people around you. To speak of in the favor of marriage at weddings but then to nod your head in favor of divorce when a friend wrongly, is wrongly seeking one, to confess in the boldness of faith before this altar that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And then we hide our allegiance to our Lord when it seems impolite, unacceptable, or such a confession will get us into trouble. However, our Lord Jesus is faithful. Even when we are faithless, He Himself is faithful. There is hope for this world because of our Lord who is faithful, because He is the Christ, the Son of God. That He confesses. Before all the audiences, as to his followers, as even to those who were enemies who seek his destruction, Jesus speaks the truth. Before his disciples, Jesus concurred with Peter's confession when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus concurred. In his trial before the Jewish ruling council, Jesus proclaims the same. When the high priest asks, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming down from, clouds, from the clouds of heaven. After Jesus goes ahead and accepts Peter's confession, he explains then what it meant to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, that he would be rejected by the elders, the chief priests of the scribes and be killed and then be raised on the third day. After Jesus proclaims that he is the Christ, the Son of God, before the Sanhedrin, then what do they do? But they reject him. In other words, it's no surprise to Jesus. He knows it. He knows what's coming. He knows that if he confesses that he is the Christ, the Messiah, he will be rejected and crucified. But he does not flinch. He confesses the truth. Jesus answers rightly, knowing full well that up to this point there is no useful evidence against him. 
But you know, that really frustrates the high priest, doesn't it? I mean, he tries one more time, doesn't he? He adjures Jesus. Are you the Christ or the Son of God? And Jesus, knowing that his words alone will condemn him, still answers the truth. Why? It is to save you, to save me, to save the whole world. He goes to the cross. Now, Peter is standing outside. Warming himself by the fire, he is questioned too. But he's not questioned by the high, by the high priest. He's not before the Sanhedrin or the ruling council of the Jews. He's not on trial. No, he's questioned by a servant girl who has no power, who has no authority to put anyone to death. Jesus had warned Peter. He had warned the disciples that they would be persecuted for his name's sake. He had told them, you remember on the Sermon of the Mount? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah, Peter had boldly confessed Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, before Jesus and the other disciples, but now before a mere servant girl and a handful of people. Not only can he not do it, but he denies ever even knowing Jesus, much less that he is the Messiah. In fact, he even swears a curse. While he denies Jesus for the third time, a rooster crows, and he remember, He remembers Jesus' words. Before the rooster crows, crows twice, you will deny me three times. But you see, Peter only remembered some of Jesus' words. Not all that Jesus had said. Remember when they headed off to the Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, you will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, they will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. How did Peter answer? Well, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said again said to him, Even if I must die, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Did you catch what Peter remembered? Or I should say what he didn't remember. He didn't remember the gracious promise that I, after I'm raised up, I will go before you. You know, it's easy to think, like Peter, that it's up to us. I can do what's right. I've got this Jesus. But Peter didn't. I don't. And you don't either, because we'll all fail. Not only did Peter fail to faithfully confess Jesus, but he also failed to actually listen and to believe what Jesus had said. He wasn't thinking, I can't wait to see Jesus after. He's raised up. He's gone to Galilee. No, 
he only remembered the prophecy of the denial. And he wept. We've all had faltering voices when it comes to confessing our gracious Lord. His beautiful gifts of salvation, of forgiveness, meaning and joy. We're all weak. We need, we need his faithfulness. While Peter wept, Jesus was judged. He deserves death. And they spat on him and slapped him and mocked him. See, Jesus suffers because he told the truth. Jesus suffers from all eternity, he, and he wants to be there. He has longed for this day. He does all this because this is what it takes to save a person like Peter. This is what it takes to save all the lying, denying sinners. This is what it takes to save me. It's what it takes to save you. To believe anything else, to doubt the need for this suffering and pain is to continue to deny the severity of our own sin, to deny the seriousness of our rebellion and the thoroughness of our guilt. This is glory because there is no other creature in heaven and on earth who can save us. This is glory, the glory of God because God would perfectly, rightly, and justly do all this and there is no one else who would or could. God is not fulfilling a moral obligation on his part. He is not coerced to do something out of his divine responsibility. God does not have to do it, but he does what none would dare to do. No one understands this on his own because the mind cannot conceive of such a salvation as this. The Almighty God submits to scorn, to shame, to pain, to punishment, to suffering, to death, in order to deny, or excuse me, to save a denying Peter, to save us, and free us by his grace alone. Because of his faithful confession of who he is, ahead lies even more betrayal and rejection and hatred. All the things we fear the most about others and out of others, ahead for Jesus lies suffering and punishment and agony. The load of the world's sinfulness and the separation from the Father and death. And it is no wonder that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that G Paul interrupts with this abrupt exclamation, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This Jesus still serves us. His powerful life-giving words of forgiveness, his self-sacrificing deed of atonement is poured out in holy communion and is given to us in holy baptism. Jesus, through his means of grace, his word and blessed sacraments, provide the foundation and the source from which all your God-pleasing words and all your God-pleasing deeds flow. Jesus has given his church throughout the centuries 
faithful men and faithful women who are able to confess his name in and out of season for the salvation of the world. For Jesus alone is their strength and salvation when they rightly confessed him in church, in their daily life, in their daily work, and even before their executioners. He welcomed them and welcomes them into his eternal kingdom. He confessed them before his Father. He alone enabled us to make the good confession joyfully, confidently to confess the same Lord constantly in our own words and actions right here. Through the Lord's actions for us and now in us, we are able to confess Jesus and his saving work at school, our work, our home, our neighborhood, to those who are appalled, uh, excuse me, to those who appalled us and those who mock us. We are free not to hoard everything that we can to get our hands on, but to cheerfully, yes, cheerfully, hilariously give it away as a part of what he gives so this, congreg so this congregation and our missionaries may proclaim the saving gospel all over the world. Peter, after he is restored by the risen Savior, openly confesses Jesus to all Jerusalem. We heard it in Bible class several times. We're going to hear it from Paul as we go through the book of Acts. Indeed, he and other disciples are so strengthened by the boundless forgiveness of Jesus that they are not afraid to let others know their complete and utter failure and the complete faithfulness of Jesus who is for them and for you. Thanks be to God, in Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, amen.